And we are back online and we're delighted to be joined this evening and we can say this evening because he's in the time, same time zone as us for once. We've got uh, Daniel Strikes, the Raspberry Ape, joining us. So, uh, Dan, thanks very much for joining us tonight. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, it's um, you're one of the more interesting characters <laughs> in the, the UK, so we're just saying uh, we, you might be the silliest goose here. Might not be me and Ali this time, so. Um, yeah. You might be one of the most interesting, uh, colourful characters in the, the UK jiu-jitsu scene, right? Well, you know what, I, I appreciate that. And I think at the end of the day, that's what you got to do. You know, life's short, you got to enjoy it. And uh, if I can bring some entertainment and bring, bring uh, be entertaining in any way or be interested in any way, then, then that's fantastic. A hundred percent. You know, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was your... Um, uh, are you calling it strength and conditioning? You're, you're, you're the way you, you know, lifting all the stones and you do some very unique things. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, yeah, I call it strength and conditioning. It's sort of that that physical, just uh, accessory work. It is still accessory work, even though it's kind of taken yeah. a life of its own over the last. Uh, well, I've been doing it for a very long time now. I've been, you know, lifting weights for probably twelve years at this point, um, so over a decade. Uh, but yeah, it's it's unique to some people. It's funny because uh, if I was to go into a commercial gym and watch someone do a hamstring curl on a machine, that would be as odd to me as mm. someone watching me juggling steel balls is to maybe a person who does goes to a standard gym. So uh, uniqueness is a relative concept. I, I you know, uh, it, it definitely. Seems. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, right, you know, around about the time. Uh, the country went into lockdown uh, whenever that was March, whenever it was, and uh, you know I had a lot of friends saying, hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to go to the gym. I can't lift weights. I'm like, listen, if you really, really don't have any equipment and can't do anything, find a big fucking stone and pick it up repeatedly. I mean, yeah, you know that seems like something that you like doing. So, um, you know, it's as good as anything, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, that, well, that's it. And, and, and stones were the original tools that mm. our species used to improve their strength. Uh, it's something, it's part of the land, it's part of the earth. You can walk around anywhere and you can find some stones. Uh, these days with people who are cut down, you know, if, if you walk through most woods, you'll find some trees that have fallen naturally. But a lot of woods that are being managed, you'll also find a lot of trees that have been felled and cut. Uh, and they also make for fantastic lifting tools. A little bit can be a little bit messier because you get some woods that are a little bit damp and rotted. But uh, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, not only can you lift stones, I like to go into the woods. I like to go for walks. I like to pick up logs and depending on the size and shape, you can squat them or press them or carry them or curl them or swing them and you could do so much with it. Um, I think so, a lot of people have a very narrow minded and very uh, particular idea of what uh, strength training or going to the gym. I, I, I hate that term. I hate the term going to the gym. I'm going to the gym because it, it, it kind of verifies and it uh, solidifies that view of it's it, going to the gym becomes, uh, you know, a synonym for exercising. And that's not the case. And it's not the case that going to the gym doesn't mean you're getting stronger and going to the gym doesn't mean you're getting bigger. It's a very, very small part. Going to the gym can mean that, but you can also run through a woods and run up a mountain and lift rocks and throw trees about and you can get mm. uh, a fantastic benefit doing that in, in many more ways uh, or very different ways than if you were just going to a gym. So are you? do you just treat this all as life rather than I'm going to the gym, I'm going to work out? Is this just life? Is this just the life of uh, Dan Strauss? Is this just... In you know, in a way, I think it's a combination of those two things. Uh, I do go to, you know, I do go to the gym. I I go into my garage and I and I and I call yeah. it uh, lifting. I just call it lifting or strength training. Um, but you know, a lot of people. Let's say you um, go to the gym religiously every single week. Let's say you go to the gym for an hour a day, uh, four days a week. You would say that uh, uh, an average person, if you go to the gym for an hour, four times a week, would call you very dedicated, very fitness conscious. They'd say that you were a, a, a really fit and active person. 
how many hours are there in seven days? How many hours are there in a week? And you spend four of those doing something active and that makes you an active person. The real question is, what are you doing with the other hundred and, you know, however many hundreds of hours would make up a week? Uh, or just over probably 150 or 60 hours or something like that, man. I'm not going to bother trying to do fast maths at this time of night, but uh, you see what I'm saying, which is yeah. people who go to the gym and they think that they're living an active lifestyle, they're not necessarily living an active lifestyle. Do you drive an hour and a half to work and then sit at a desk for eight hours a day and then drive an hour and a half home and then you go to the gym for an hour four times a week you're not living an active life but maybe someone who doesn't go to the gym at all but their job is a very physical job and they walk a lot and they walk their dogs for an hour and a half a day and uh you know maybe they're lifting uh bags of cement as part of their job that's actually going to be a far more active life and it's going to be put in a far more better position in both a health mm. and performance way than someone who uh you know so it's a combination of two yes i do go into my gym and i do lift weights a couple of times a week but then i'm also rolling or walking the dog or playing or you know running yeah. around the woods and lifting up trees and stones and stuff like that as well so yeah i'm uh, yeah, I, mean, I was just going to say, Ali. Sorry. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, I lift. I, you know, I like. I like lifting weights. I just like lifting weights. But um, you know, I love you know climbing hills and and you know swimming in locks and all this kind of stuff. But is there is there something you know? Is, is there something that led you down this path? Were you like doing conventional S and C training, yeah. and then something changed you to do more fun? Or was it what you know? What was the? Yeah. So I I've done. Uh, I didn't start training how I train now. I've, I've done a lot of things. I started with, uh, initially I started with a, a pretty much purely conditioning style of training. I would basically just doing circuit training. Uh, then I read a book called Dinosaur Training, which was sort of got me into lifting weights. At that point, I was kind of sticking to the main big compound lifts. I was doing uh, bench and deads and overhead press and pull-ups and stuff like that. Uh, and then I got more into sort of power lift and I injured my back. So for a very long time, I wasn't doing any deadlifts, but I was doing lots of bench, lots of squats. And your other standard barbell work got really into sort of power lifting. Uh, and focusing very heavily on getting big numbers on those big lifts that I like to do. Uh, then the gym that I was training at at the time and the guys that I was training with were getting into strongman competitions. So even though I never competed in strongman, I was doing a lot of the same training. So it was yokes and atlas stones and, um, and uh, farmer's walks and stuff like that. And then sort of I slowly kind of listened to my body and, and found the stuff that I enjoyed and found the stuff that I really found benefit with. And my training today is different to how my training was a year ago. And I imagine that my training in a year will be different to how my training is today. Uh, it's always evolving. It's always adapting. I have different goals. I like to set myself goals along the way. Uh, the, the, the priority is always being a strong and capable individual for life and the mats uh, or my life, which involves being on the mats and throwing other humans around. Um, so that's always the sort of the main, that's the spine of the training, but then the other stuff I'll set on the, on the way will be giving myself goals within the world of strength. And that gives me a sort of background focus to work on, be that, uh, bending a specific type of steel or, or lifting a specific stone or whatever it may be. Yeah. That's, uh, the stones seem to be, uh, something that you're, because you know I've seen you lifted quite a few, you know the Denny Stones for example, and then uh, you know the Dalbany Stone, and what um, what are the ones near uh, uh, Balkida? What what are those called again? Uh, the ones in Balkida is the um, would be the the Sadlimer. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, sadly, yeah. yeah. So, so in ter in terms of the historic stone lifting, is something that I got into initially uh, through the Dinny stones. I kind of knew about it, and um, I just uh, I bought some training handles for the Dinny stones. And originally, with my back injury, I didn't think that I'd be able to ever do them. And I started training with these things, and I was like, not only is my back not getting worse. My back's actually getting better doing this. It goes completely mm. against the standard intuition of, you know, the last thing you want to be doing is lifting 300 kilos. You're going to hurt your back. I'm like, wait a minute. My back's already hurt. 
this is fixing my back. And, and, and this has been the story for the last couple of years of my life, which is you, you watch my Instagram and, and the comments on my Instagram, oh, this is so bad for your back, go, well, hold up. I, my back's broken. Like I have, a, I have, a, I have a, a crack in my spine. You don't know anything about bad backs. I've had, I have a bad back and I've had a bad back and I know what it's like. And this doesn't make it worse. This makes it better. You know, so uh, I started training for the Dinny Stones and um, made that into a challenge that I wanted to achieve. Trained for mm -hmm. that. I achieved that. And in doing so, in part of the process of getting into, you know, it was kind of a dual process, which was one, getting more into the history and the uh, culture yeah. of historical stone lifting and also having a stronger back so I could do stuff like picking stones off the ground. Because in terms, even though the weight is much heavier with the Dinnies, uh, you're mm. lifting them in a much easier style with with a, that that straddling deadlift position, whereas with the, the uh, a standard um, a historical lifting stone, you're going to be bending down very low, which usually would be hurting my back yeah. a lot more. But I found that my back was a lot stronger. So basically, when I did the dinnies, uh, the Inverstone stone is very close by; it's about 20 minutes away. So after I finished the dinnies, mm. I always say I had uh, ate a pack of cookies for strength, and then drove to the Inverstone stone <laughs> and lifted the Inverstone. stone. And then that gave me a real interest to travel around Scotland. I, I really think Scotland is one of the most beautiful countries or one of the most beautiful places in the world. Uh, one of my favorite countries in, in one of my favorite places in the world as well. And uh, mm. being able to. So, so when I went um, just before the pandemic or at the beginning of it, uh, early March, before everything got shut down, I was doing a seminar tour. And as part of that seminar tour, I did uh, five seminars around uh, Scotland, all the way around Scotland. Uh, from 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 sort of the bottom of Scotland all the way up to um, to 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 uh, Inverness, and on the way, uh, you know, managed to see this beautiful country, teach these jiu-jitsu seminars, and then go and lift all of these historical stones, all part of the same trip. So uh, that was really 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 fun. Really loved it. And um, there's kind of mm. five or six stones still left in Scotland for me to lift, <laughs> and they'll be on my list to do next time. I am. Um, I haven't, you know, I, I, I haven't any How do you go about lifting? I, no, I think that, that you can just go and lift, right? That's just there to be lifted. Is that right? Uh, it, it depends on the individual stone. It's such an important part. You know, because of uh, me promoting the um, Scottish stones, especially, and lifting stones mm. in general, uh, through, through my Instagram and also through the mini-series that I did, uh, not that I have a huge, massive following, but I have a following, you know, the, the, the world of stone lifting is actually really small. So when I did yeah. uh, the, the stone lifting that I've done and the documentary that I did or the series that I did around it did get it into the eyes of a lot of people who didn't know it existed. And, yeah. um, it's, and a lot of people said that they were inspired to go and lift the stones or train to lift the stones because of that. But anyone who has done that, you've got to play by the rules. You've got to do it right. And the way that you do it right is by really studying it studying um, and understanding not just the history, uh, but understanding and respecting the stone itself and the etiquette around it. So uh, to answer your question, some stones are lying in the middle of a field and no, you know, in, in, on public land and you can just go and lift them. Other stones such as the dinny uh, is, uh, so, so dinny is kind of unique in that it is chained up it is owned. It's outside of a. Uh, it's outside of a, a restaurant and a hotel, and you have to book your attempt in. Then you'll have uh, uh, something like the. I, I believe I'm pronouncing it. Hopefully, pronouncing it relatively right. The Mingus Stone, which is at Minic the Mingus Castle, yeah. uh, which yeah. although it's it's just lying outside, you technically could drive up and lift it. I believe that the etiquette is to contact, uh, I believe the etiquette yeah. still is, to contact someone there and ask for permission to lift it. Uh, you know, for, for example, unfortunately, uh, she, she passed a few, about a month or two back, uh, but originally uh, the Inverstone was looked after by a lovely lady called June Richards. The etiquette, again, knock on the door, ask her for permission to lift the stone. Um, mm. And so, so, so it's, a, it's different things, you know, something like the Fianna Stone, for example, is just in a field. Uh, the Sadlin Mare is just in a field. So some of the stones you can just go up to and lift. Some of the stones you have the book in. Some of them you can basically go and lift, but it's uh, you know same with the um, with the Putrak stone. Uh, it's in someone's land, so you just uh, knock on the door of the house and ask if you can 
play with their stone basically so uh, uh, everyone very 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 welcoming and nice that i've come across people in those parts of scotland generally are very very nice you know edinburgh glasgow like most you know big you know big cities are some people aren't so friendly but you know when you go to the highlands and rural scotland everybody's lovely yeah they are and and, and to be honest even in the big cities i've I've always found the people of scotland to be a very very welcoming people and i've never had a problem with anyone and uh, yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, chris Chris, Chris, hates edinburgh that's all i really don't do you know why right i work in edinburgh i work in edinburgh uh no sorry i don't work in edinburgh i i you know i work for myself and i'm often in edinburgh i just work uh with a lot of people who have a problem and uh, you know, I'm the first person they usually get to complain to. So, um, yeah, when I go to a city, they normally complain to me, and I go, oh, "Fucking Edinburgh." Um, but yeah, it's not it's not Edinburgh, everybody. You know, it's just it's just that's just what happens. But um, you know, it's it's funny because I passed you know I passed Dalwell today. I was way up to the north of Scotland today, and um, all the like, never just like stop in and go, "Fuck it, I'm just going to go." And, <laughs> yeah, store so, and fucking press it, and um, I might have to look into that. So that may be quite fun. So, do you say? Did you say uh, the Dalwini? The Dalwini store. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I passed. Yeah. Uh, I passed so the the, the Dalwini's yeah. outside. It's outside of the uh, Shack Hut, I believe, or Shake Hut. Um, yeah. It's outside of a restaurant, and yeah, it's yeah. just lying there. And um, as far as I'm aware, that you don't need to ask permission to lift it. You can literally just go up and lift it. Obviously, respect. You know, one of the big things with the stones is anyone listening who's interested in lifting stones, uh, they, they they are not stones. They are pieces of history. They're artifacts yeah. and should be treated. So be very careful about dropping the stone. Try and place the stone down gently as if you were, you know, I've never had to worry about that because I've always been so concerned about uh, breaking a stone. So I always mm. try and put the stone down with as, mu- as, as much care as possible. But people some, kind of forget that they have... Uh, they they think it's just a rock. It's not a rock. It's a special rock. Be nice to the special rock, basically. But yeah, in terms of the Dalwini stone, uh, you could drive past there. You can get out. You can limber up a little bit and give it a crack. You know. I might uh, I might have to try. You know, I pass uh, not not all that often, but I pass Balquidder quite regularly. As in fact, if you find yourself in that neck of the woods again. Uh, this is not a plug, this is just true there's a little hotel near uh, Balquidder called the Monarchale Moor and it's the most fun, and I didn't stay there I had to go there for work and uh, it's the most unbelievable little hotel, you drive along this little road by the side of a lock and you go, there's no fucking hotel, there cannot be a hotel along here and you get to like five miles around here and there's this little beautiful little hotel that's at the end of a lock, it's an amazing place so this seems to be more of a travel show. This is not what I was expecting tonight <laughs> at all. Our podcast always go, isn't it? It's, 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 a, exactly. it's a long it's advert. advert. It's, it's a long advert for Visit Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. Three, three, <laughs> three ridiculous men talk hotels in Scotland. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, no, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, uh, you know your Instagram is always um, full of, uh, you know, you know your training videos and it's, it's quite interesting to see how you know other people other people do it um so how how you know how much um how much of that stuff do you do like in comparison to your you know training your actual jiu-jitsu training do you do you you know yeah so so if you were to look at my instagram you know a lot of people ask me are you still training jujitsu or, you know, the, the, the reality is that the stuff that if you looked at my Instagram, you wouldn't know for the most part, unless you sort of really had a deep dive in there, you wouldn't know for the most part that I even did jujitsu. I don't post a huge amount uh, because what is it that I'm, I'm going to post a picture of uh, the guys after training. I find it a little bit boring, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, neglecting the fact that we're not meant to be training jujitsu at the moment anyway, but I'll ignore <sighs> that for now. But even oh. in even in ge- even in general, we're uh, um, yeah. I I, I train jujitsu more often than I lift, basically. So yeah. Uh, yeah. At, at the moment, uh, I'm I'm definitely doing a lot less jujitsu than I normally would be, just because of the situation that we're in at the moment and the limited capacity that gyms are running uh, and such. So I'm training about three times a week now, three or four times a week. And I usually lift two or three times a week. So, yeah. uh, but 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 usually on on beforehand it would be twice or three times lifting and four or five times a week doing jujitsu. 
Okay. Yeah. It's, um... I, saw, I saw a video you posted, and again, just with Instagram and the way the uh, algorithm works, it could have been any point in the last week, but I saw it this morning, and it was one of you working, you were talking about working like your suplex movement with yeah. a look like a twist ball and a couple of uh, resistance bands. Is that what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so this was the, the, the Swiss ball, something that I've been doing, uh, very recently. Um, I actually saw an, I saw a video of someone training, uh, for stone lifting with a Swiss ball and they had the Swiss ball in front of their body and they were holding a barbell sort of, uh, so imagine that you, you're holding a barbell out, out in front mm-hmm. and between the barbell and your body is a Swiss ball being slightly okay. compressed and then kind of basically forcing you to to lift and you can add weight to the barbell to make that harder and i thought it looked really cool so i bought a swiss ball and i never fi- i never blew it up i never did anything then i saw another video of someone who had filled uh, not filled uh, but 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 put some water in the swiss ball and they were throwing the swiss ball over their head and i thought now that looks super cool so i got the swiss ball out and i filled it with about maybe between 10 and 20 kilos of water and when it was nice and sunny i was throwing it about uh, and it's a it's a fantastic and fun exercise and the water sloshes around and makes it really awkward uh, then I was kind of hugging it and feeling it and thought man this feels like a you know this hugging position is very is a very bare huggy position so I was mm. sort of did another exercise where I was shaking it about and then I was training a couple of days ago I was training on Monday and the guy that I was training with he said I uh, he it was his first session down at the cave and he said I saw you doing that throwing the the swiss ball over your back and we're like it was pissing with rain outside so we couldn't go outside and do that so i was thinking how can we overload that sort of triple extension movement with the ball so we got the swiss ball got the the bands attached to the ground and was doing this uh this this band assisted sort of suplex position super hard looks much it is much harder than it looks uh but super beneficial and and yeah that's how it is that's how a lot of my training is it's a lot of experimentation and a lot of exploring and trying new ideas and being creative i just going mm, back to what yeah. you were saying at the start of the daniel about you know if you tried to do it in a commercial gym the look would be, <laughs> <laughs> would be like if you're just like sorry yeah, yeah. Things, i need a swiss ball and two yeah. resistance bands because i'm going to practice my suplex but i already yeah. have yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's it's got it's got it's, it's got to the point now cool. where <laughs> it's got to the point now where um not only do i it's actually quite bad i i i find it very difficult to train outside of my gym uh in in a commercial gym somewhere else i find it very difficult to train uh the vibe is really different it's it's when when you train you know it's like imagine someone's been locked in their house for many years and then they go outside and go to someone else's house it's all going to feel very strange so the vibe's not there you know they're, they're, they're playing uh kiss fm instead of playing mongolian throat singing and uh they none of the equipment i don't have any machines in the garage and they don't have any stones in their in their gym so it all is a very 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 odd and very strange to me so yeah i'd feel as yeah. uncomfortable in a commercial gym as a, a commercial gym goer feels inside of mine a hundred percent man i um i think around about when would i have been ali around about may i think there's an, an announcement in scotland and it was like uh, you know gyms aren't going to open until october and I instantly went, fuck this. And I had a little summer house that was kind of abandoned. It wasn't really used. And um, I ex- extended it uh, and got some weights in there, some kettlebells. And, you know, I've got a SWAT rack and stuff. And uh, one of the things, funnily, you're talking about your Swiss ball is I got a, I bought two slam balls, a 15 and a 35. And one of the most fun things yeah. is picking up, picking up the 35, throwing it on my shoulder. Yeah. chasing after it it's just fun it's like a really fun movement um and bloody hard work so um yeah and i, I you know the, the last time i was in a, a a commercial gym it's the one in my village and it's a council gym and um i was doing sprints i think i usually do them outside but it was like pissing in the rain and and you know fucking 100 100 miles an hour wind in scotland so i would do them on the treadmill and uh, I just went in to do whatever it was. And some guy was laughing at me because what I was doing on the treadmill. Yeah. And I was like, is that, is that, is that all you're doing, pal? Yeah. Do you have any idea what I'm trying to, I'm doing? Like, I've just came in here and you're fucking telling me, you, you think I'm a moron. Oh, okay. Just went, oh, yeah, that's all I'm doing, man. I'll see you later. Bye. And um, yeah, it's one of those things where you go, I, I don't 
fit in here. I don't belong here. Hundred <laughs> percent. I could because I not on a Smith Smith not on a Smith machine. Uh, I don't. I, you know, I don't fit in here at all, man. Like this is this yeah. is not for me. <laughs> That's um, it. I don't want to have so, yeah. to deal with any anyone else's rubbish when I'm working out. Definitely not. Exactly, man. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So where did the um, where did the the, the jiu jitsu journey start for you? So I, I've been training jiu-jitsu for about 15 years now. So I've been training for quite a long time. And I kind of almost fell into doing jiu-jitsu. I was uh, doing many different martial arts as a kid. Um, never, you know, when I say a kid, about 13, 14 years old, I really wanted to do. My mum at the, at the time never wanted me to do any martial arts. She didn't like the idea of me fighting full stop. So it's funny how these sort of things turn out. Uh, but she didn't want me doing any martial arts as a, as a young child, like when most kids do do martial arts, sort of seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Um, but so, 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 sort of uh, having a little bit more say in what I was doing with my life at sort of 13, 14, started trying different martial arts. I did a few weeks here, a few weeks there. Never really liked anything too much. Started at a traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu academy and uh kind of enjoyed it a little bit i stuck there longer than anywhere else but never really grabbed me and then one day one of the instructors there were two instructors there one of the instructors left and the other instructor took over and he had been training with roger gracie for a couple of years at that point he was a blue belt and uh he slowly that so basically i never i never went to a jiu-jitsu academy i went to a japanese jiu-jitsu academy which very very luckily became a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy, and when we when it became a grappling academy, then that was it, and I was hooked, and and that that's the gym that I uh, that I trained at since then the whole time. Especially oh. back there, if you're talking, did you say when you were 15 or 15 years ago? Sorry, Dan. Both. Both. Okay. Both. Okay. Well, I suppose that would be back then a blue belt would have been like an absolute superhero because there just wasn't blue belts back then, was there? You're absolutely right. I remember uh, a couple of stories. So first thing, my instructor who I was referring to there, who was a blue belt, Nick Brooks, um, I remember I remember thinking um, very early on when I was training jiu-jitsu, I, my goal is to become a blue belt by the time I'm 21, you know, five years time. That's my five-year goal is to become a blue belt because now it's different. It, not, it's different in two ways. One, uh, there are so many, there are so many blue belts now. It's so common. Uh, that it's not a big deal when there were so few back then, but I do actually think the standard of blue belt for the most part, the average standard of blue belt back then was much higher because it, there was such a small number and Nick Brooks as a blue belt was a encyclopedia. It was unbelievable. I'm thinking it's going to take me a lifetime to, to get the amount of knowledge that this guy has. Any question you ask, there are a hundred things that he could tell you. And then you go from here to here to here to here and you can't keep up. Maybe part of that is that's just what happens when someone who doesn't know any jiu-jitsu talks to someone who knows a little bit of jiu-jitsu. But he mm. just felt, I felt like he was an encyclopedia, even a blue belt, which you don't expect from a blue belt these days. And the second one, uh, second story when it comes to that is the first jiu-jitsu tournament I ever, uh, I ever entered, uh, the Hereford Open. It was the first ever Hereford Open. It wasn't even a BJJ tournament. It was called a ground fighting tournament. Um, and there were so few blue belts that it was not necessary to state in the tournament what belt the division was. There were no belt divisions. Everyone was a white belt. You didn't even have to say anything. So I'm competing in this division and I'm like, uh, I'm a white belt. Uh, and everyone else in the white belt, and then a blue belt walks in for the open weight. And you imagine now how insignificant, sorry for the blue belts out there, but they know how insignificant it is to be a blue belt now. Well, back mm. then in 2005 or six, whenever it was, this blue belt walks into the room and it was like, I don't know, uh, a superstar walked into the room you know it would be it would like it like roger gracie walked into the room today that's what it was like and i remember as a 15 year old kid looking up at my instructor like oh my god he's got a blue belt and he's going to fight in this division and nick looking down at me and nodding his nodding his head you know uh and 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 this blue belt came in and he entered this it wasn't a white belt division it was just a grappling division and uh, no one else had a white belt and obviously wiped the floor with everyone so uh, the, the, the difference between then and now is just crazy. 
That's true. Mm. And it's funny that you mentioned that blue belts are morons because both me and Chris are. Blue <laughs> <belts>. <laughs> hey, I didn't say that. Don't put words in my mouth. Not, not, not morons, just insignificant is what I was saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, was, uh, yeah it was funny. We, we, were, we were talking this morning. Uh, not that not that we were training jujitsu because obviously that's highly illegal. But yeah. we were talking this morning uh, in a building that had uh, a mild floor, and uh, <laughs> we uh, we were just talking about like, the levels to blue belt. Like, you know, sometimes it feels like you know some guys get their blue belts far too easy, and then there's other guys we know friends who are blue belts. And fucking savages, just le- yeah. genuinely very, very legit. And it's this we- really vast uh, difference in, in in the level of blue belts. Um, I don't obviously I don't know yet because I'm not there, but I don't know if that's the case at you know purple and brown, yeah. uh, even black. But you know blue belt seems to be like a real massive difference um, in, in abilities. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's quite. Um, do you, is that something you have found? You know, you know. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And that is absolutely true for all belts: blue, purple, mm. brown, and black. Okay. Uh, and and it's actually it's 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 really basic logic if you think about it. Uh, sort of what the second law, I believe, of thermodynamics is entropy, or even the first law of thermodynamics is entropy. Everything becomes more chaotic. It doesn't become less chaotic. When you have one blue belt, let's say, for example, you have the first ever blue belt, that is the only standard of blue belt. They are both the best and the worst blue belt in the world. Now you get a second blue belt, and they're a little bit better than them. And now you have a range. You have the the best blue belt and the worst blue belt. And they're very close together, potentially. Relatively, they're next to each other. And then you get a third one who's worse. And now you've got the top one, the bottom one, the middle one. And the more blue belts you get, the wider that spectrum is going to become. So the longer time goes on, the bigger the entropy becomes, you're going to have the blue belt, which is so much better than all the other blue belts, is going to be phenomenal. You'll have blue belts that are black belt level, that are submitting black belts, no problem. You know, there'll be blue belts out there that can submit the majority of black belts, uh, standard club level black belts. And then there'll be blue belts that are incredibly low level. So you're always going to have that natural widening of the spectrum for for increasing in numbers. Obviously, blue belt is the uh, first belt that you get in jiu-jitsu, which means that is going to be the one where there's always going to be the highest number of people, which means there's always going to be the vastest difference between the high level and the low level. Uh, But as you see more, the exact same thing happened, and I've had this exact same uh, conversation when referring to the standard of black belts in this country, which is when there were three black belts in this country, that was the standard. And when there's 300 black belts in this country, the standard is going to be much, much bigger. You're going to have incredibly high level, uh, international level, uh, winning gold medals in international tournaments. And then you're going to have someone who's just trained for 12 years and they train twice a week or, you know, they haven't really trained much in the last few years, Mm. but they just got it on time. And it's naturally going to happen. That's just a, it's a mechanism of life, really. Yeah, it's funny because... um... Our professor uh, Dan Reed, um, he's a, he's a friend a friend of ours as well, and you know he trained with uh, Craig Jones right before Craig Jones kind of broke out. Uh, I think that was the year he beat Leandro Lowe and stuff at um, ADCC. Yeah. And Dan said, you know, it, it doesn't didn't make sense. He was he was ready to quit because what the fuck is this? This guy is re- just just walking through me and fucking me up. And he goes, then he you know he went there and he he, he kind of dominated ADCC that year and they went oh okay I'm not bad it's just this guy's on just a different level just you know one of those the you know absolute elite level of um, uh, of the game but um, you know talking about black belts in in the UK is there any matches um, that you you are targeting or you know haven't had that you would like Uh, you know when 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 it comes to matches this is a question that obviously all uh, competitors get asked a lot for me uh, the real goal for me this year was to just be a lot more active in competition obviously uh, it's not a very good year to attempt to, to hit that goal yeah. you know, that's why I, 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 I quit my my uh, job as an instructor to focus more on myself training and competing and traveling to compete I was hoping to get many many tournaments under my belt this year and then sort of obviously uh not that my world came crashing down but the world came crashing down and that wasn't able to happen 
so really for the most part, I just want to uh, get back to having a lot more experience and time on the competition mats. In ter terms of individual fights, it's it's uh, when it comes to super fights for me, I'm always looking out for the most interesting matchup, not necessarily the most um, relevant matchup. Uh, I want I like the freak show matchups. I like the matchups that are going to be entertaining to, to watch and entertaining mm -hmm. to be. Obviously, if I ever get the opportunity to go against very high level people, then I always jump at that opportunity because uh, at the end of the day, given the opportunity to prove yourself against the, uh, the, the best people in the world is always a pleasure and honor and part of what it is to be an athlete. Uh, so, so no, there's no one that I'm going to be calling out, but, uh, you know, the question is at this point, uh, you, you know, does it even matter? It's not like any yeah. tournaments are going down. So my yeah. main focus is to qualify for ADCC and, 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 and get back on the sort of Olympics of, of grappling stage once again. Have fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be good. Um, I, I was kind of hoping, uh, be something late on this year, but I don't see there being anything this year. And, Possibly not even early next year. I, I don't see there being any competitions. Uh, yeah, you know, before so, next so, summer. You know, so I was I was really really gutted uh, that the Polaris Quads event, a uh, mm. uh, Polaris Squad. Sorry, I've been playing too much uh, Warzone. Uh, Polaris Squads event uh, um, was on the same day that I was already committed to doing commentary on Cage Warriors. Genuinely, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever been more devastated to miss a tournament because I really love the format of a team tournament uh, yeah. and everything was sort of perfect for me. Uh, so very, very... And then to, to rub salt into the wound, uh, Polaris go and book a second squad event, but they're doing it in a gi, uh, which I haven't competed in the gi since I was uh, a purple belt. So we're talking eight years ago, maybe was the last time I competed in the gi. Mm -hmm. So I doubt I'm going to get onto the, the squad to compete in the in the gi. So very, very disappointing to not be able to get on any of these Polaris uh, cards. But, but also very cool to see that they're still running cards and hopefully yeah. I can get on one in the future. Not too yeah. far, not too, too the, far um, away. The, uh, funny you mentioned there. Funny, sorry, Chris. Funny you mentioned the gear there, Daniel. Because again, when we were in doing jujitsu this morning, because it's illegal, we were also talking about the fact that we, I don't, and, and Chris as well, don't train very often in the gear. And a couple yeah. of the guys do train train in the gear a lot. And the difference between the two people that don't train in in both sort of styles, no gear and gear, don't really appreciate how different. The two games are, you know, when you get the gear on and there's those collar chokes and, you know, the grips mm. are different. It's, it's a completely different animal, completely different animal. Yeah. And, and uh, to go more in depth with that, it's also very relevant what style of grappling your uh the person that you're rolling against is doing and what style of grappling you have as an athlete mm. um so for example if someone w uh, for many years i trained uh for many years i trained majority in the gi uh and then for many years i trained 50 50 i would train exclusively no gi when preparing for a no gi tournament and then exclusively gi when preparing yeah. for a gi tournament uh so i played a very no gi based game even when i was wearing the gi now, if mm. someone tries to play a no-gi style game with me in the gi, it's very, very easy. I find uh, if you do that, trading in the gi is almost like a cheat code. It's it's unfair it, because all of the, 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 the moves just become easier when you put the gi on. They just become easier. Mm. Uh, so on the few times that I've chucked the gi on, and, and I really do mean a few times, I think, I put, I think I've worn a gi uh, no more than 10 times since I got my black belt, which was six years ago. So you can do the maths on that. But one of the few times that I've rolled in the gi since I got my black belt, I found it unbelievable how easy I found it. Now, here's the thing. Mm. If someone plays a gi-based game, they play a lot of the Pell Guard or Reverse Della Worm Guard or all of those bollocks, that, you know, all of that sort of stuff. It's at that point that I really, really struggle and the lack of um, mm. being comfortable and aware of what's going on with the gi stuff really becomes prevalent. So, uh, yeah, it, 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 there is a big difference, but that difference can be small depending on how you play versus your opponent and it could be massive uh, uh, depending how you and your opponent play. Yeah, I mean, we you know we still train once a week in the in, in the gi. Uh, it's just not something that either of us find all that enjoyable. I just uh, I don't get excited. I don't get excited to go train the gi. Um, I do get excited to train no gi. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I want to do some, you know, sub-only, uh, no-gi stuff, whereas, you know, gi point stuff is just... Yeah, just doesn't, and, yeah, and, just, and at the end of the day, it. you know, at the end of the day, this is a hobby for you guys, so yeah, you should just 100%. do whatever you enjoy doing. If you don't enjoy yeah. training the gi, don't do gi, and if you don't enjoy training no-gi, don't do no-gi, and if you don't enjoy yeah. jiu-jitsu at all, then don't do jiu-jitsu at all. At the end of the day, it's a hobby, and you should do whatever you enjoy. Um, I was also, I was smiling there as you were talking, Daniel, about the difference of the the no gi gi game and the the gi game and talking it through and that was very much a black belt answer as opposed to my blue belt answer. <laughs> it's pure different, yeah. It's pure very different. Well, no, no, no answers are simple with me. Unfortunately, I like to blab all crap. I like too much. that. So I like this that. is this is um. So are you are you very much into uh, philosophy? In terms, because it seems like you're very much into philosophy in terms of your your training and your jujitsu. But is that something that you like to think about with with everyday life? Is that you know, is it a, you know, a deep it, thought? It, it, sure. Um, I I do. I I, I for the I, I like to um I like to train, and that training it comes in a um that that comes in a physical way with the strength and conditioning work that I do. It becomes in a skill based way. Uh, be that jiu-jitsu or be that learning other skills outside of jiu-jitsu I believe that the muscles of your body must be trained and uh, you know I've said this on a, I said this on a podcast quite recently actually but the human body has an unbelievable capacity to uh, change unbelievable uh, a capacity to change which is staggering that nobody truly appreciates that mm. you can have a small arms and you can do something and your arms will get bigger you know it's actually unbelievable it's just it's so slow that people don't realize it but imagine if you could click your fingers and your arms were twice the size it might not happen when you click your fingers, but in six months' time, your arms can be twice the size. So you can do things. You can learn to jump further and to run faster and to lift heavier things. And you have an unbelievable capacity to change and give yourself abilities. And those things don't just come physically. Those things come uh, when it comes to uh, your brain and your mind as well. And you should train in the same way that you should train in a magnitude of different ways uh, to make sure that you have a well-rounded physicality uh, I also believe that you should train the mind in many ways as well. Uh, be that reading and learning, uh, doing skills, working coordination. A lot of my training is based around uh, a lot more over the last couple of years is based around uh, balance and coordination and, um, you, you know, kind of reconnecting, especially the left and right. A lot of people, especially their dominant hand, uh, if they're right handed, for example, they're able to do everything with the right hand and they're not able to do anything with the left hand. So working on sort of connecting the two sides of your brain when it comes to philosophy, am I, do I consider myself a philosopher? Absolutely not. You know, I will, I will look into some stuff when it comes to philosophy because, you know, I like to be relatively well read on all topics. Uh, it's not something that I, I could start quoting, uh, you know, specific well, not very many specific philosophers, uh, but in terms of when it what it boils down to is I'm very detail orientated and I like to get quite deep into whatever it is. Uh, when someone when 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 I do an arm bar, I don't just want to know how to do it. I want to understand the mechanism behind how that works, and that comes the mm. same as anything that I do. Uh, I like to get. I always find that the devil is in the detail, and really the enjoyment is in the detail as well. My favorite thing about jujitsu is showing someone not a big elaborate move, but showing someone something absolutely minuscule that will make a massive yeah. difference. That's what I love about grappling. That's um, one of the things that I love the most is when. You're trying something, whether it's a, you know whatever the move is, whether it's a, an armbar or a guillotine or you know whatever it is, and you're just about getting it, and then you know you go to a seminar, one of your seminars or you know whoever, and they say all you need to do is just reposition yeah. your hips, you just need to move your hips by yeah. you know this amount, and then all of a sudden it's every time, every time, every time perfect. That's the that's the the best feeling. It's you 100%. know when it's these yeah. tiny little details. Um, Super, super interesting. So, um, yeah, it sounds uh, sounds like you like to get a little um, kind of. Primal. Sorry, I'm just plugging my laptop back in one sec. Ah, okay. Oh, sorry. Plugging my laptop in. Oh, it dies. 
There we go. We're all good. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah, it, sounds, it sounds like uh, you know you like to get low. It's sort of, sort of primal because you like to be at you know you know not not to be all happy, but you kind of like to be kind of at one with nature and to understand you know like you say mechanism. It just like you like to understand everything around about you. So it's kind of like a um, you know you like to get a little uh, little primal. So. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I think it all comes down. Uh, one of the most badass and coolest, but also, I believe, truthful quotes is the uh, um, uh, civilize the mind and make savage the body. You know, it's such a cool, mm -hmm. badass sounding quote. But I really mm -hmm. believe that there's actually a lot of uh, really good advice there, which is uh, that, that you need to balance everything in life's about balance. It really is. Uh, there, there is absolutely nothing that is every single thing regardless of what it is has is on a spectrum there's too much there's too little and somewhere in between it's just right and that can be uh applied to absolutely everything in life there's nothing that is going to be too extreme and nothing nothing's going to be good if you take it too extreme and nothing's going to be good if you take it uh to, to not nothing's going to be bad if you don't do anything yeah. uh, if you do something you know uh so yeah i believe in it's all about finding that balance between um learning and understanding and living in a modern society and understanding what that means, but also not getting too detached from who we are as human beings. So, mm. uh, and that's another thing that I've been working. I think a lot of people have been working over the last year, uh, as we've been in lockdown for a long time, people have realized, uh, they've gone outside a lot more. They've walked a lot more. They've really taken check of their body. A lot of people for the first time, you know, this idea, uh, which is something that I've been doing for a while, but it's starting to get a lot more traction of re rewilding yourself in some ways, getting out into nature, taking your shoes off and walking barefoot through the woods and, uh, understanding how your body moves naturally and trying to emulate that and reprogram yourself to what is a lot more, uh, and, and when it comes to eating, as well eating how you would eat uh how we've evolved over hundreds of thousands of years to eat and not over the last uh 200 years of this overly manufactured and, and over processed types of food so mm. uh yeah it's always all about balance and when it comes to training sometimes you've got to get savage and throw some rocks around and sometimes you've got to be civilized and play a game of chess no, totally. yeah I man, think definitely it's, it's um starts from a, a very young age that though as well doesn't it you know it's i've got i've got three kids and i remember when they were eight nine ten maybe the you know at the various stages as they were taking them like wandering through the woods and stuff but getting them climbing trees and they were like oh this this could be dangerous i was like yes it can be which is why we're going to do it because climbing trees is fun <laughs> and uh, after that first 10 15 seconds of of nervousness that all kids have when they're trying something new they suddenly realized it was really good fun to climb up trees and swing from branches and fall down and, and they're like oh no my clothes are muddy i was like that's cool we've got a washing machine like it's not the end of the world like oh my hands yeah. are all dirty i need to clean them because no nah, it's fine it's a little bit dirt just dust it off we're all good here keep moving yeah, um and yeah. i think there's been a change over the last you know maybe the last generation or so where it has moved away from that. There's almost been a generation of parents that have grown up not doing that, so they don't want their kids doing that. Like, oh, don't jump in puddles because you'll get muddy. That's okay, kids are allowed yeah. to get muddy. Yeah, yeah 100%. And, and I, I think in general, you know, we're, we're, we're living in... Um, quite a scary time to have kids i think and i don't have any kids i don't have don't plan on having kids in the immediate future but at some point i do plan on having kids uh uh if that comes to happen and um i can't imagine the difficulties of raising kids in a mod in a really truly modern society the difference between uh today and just when i was a child is so staggering uh, where there were no smartphones when i was a kid not that it was even you know that long ago I'm getting on, but, you know, we're only talking 20 years ago, I was 10 years old, and, uh, you, you know, I didn't have access to, to any smartphones, and now all of these kids at four or five years old, even younger sometimes, I have a nephew uh, who is uh, four years old, and he can work an iPad better than most adults can work an iPad, and yeah. it, it, it really terrifies me, actually, because... And, and without getting too deep into this hole, but you, you brought up the kids and I do find it such an interesting subject. The problem with me on podcasts is that I will talk for hours about absolute crap and then divert onto more stuff. Uh, but I won't stay too long in it. Uh, but, but the problem is that these things, you know, these things that we have here, uh, these terrible but fantastic uh, rectangles of power and evil and good and everything in between, they are designed and the apps that are on them, they are designed, they are hacked 
to, to get into our mind. They are literally designed to draw our attention and to keep our attention. They, 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 they've made by geniuses that have used all of the psychology over hundreds of thousands of years that we've adapted in our brain and the way that our brains are, are built. And they've taken that and they've used it against us to make us addicted to them. And when that happens to an adult, hopefully at 30 years old, you can work out uh, I'm on my phone too much. I've got to go for a walk. But when that is in your life from the age of four or five years old or six or seven, even it's very, very young and you're born and you're brought up around this electronic device that is sucking your attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I generally, and I, and that might be a case that every generation worries about the next generation, but I genuinely worry about, um, how kids, how difficult it will be as parents to keep kids, uh, growing up in, um, in, 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 in a way that isn't all consumed in technology. Scary. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's really true. My daughter's 11 and she is one of the ones that's had an iPhone for about two and a half years now. And in fairness, she was one of the last ones in her class to get an oh, iPhone. Oh, yeah. That's every very late. That's very like, late. Every, every year for birthday and Christmas, can I get an iPhone? And, and me and my wife were like, no, too young, too young, too young. And then Sandra would speak to the other mums and like, oh, yeah, she's had an iPhone and an iPad, as you say, since yeah, she was three or four. And you kind of start to feel, you don't want your kid to feel left behind. And then you get her the phone. And, and as you say, Daniel, and don't get me wrong, there are times where I'll, I'll go through at night and I'll switch off. And she'll, at 11 years old, throw a tantrum over the top yeah. taking her phone off because it's hacked on it is. It's almost like that that junkie fix of, I just it need is. to swipe one more time. I need to do that one more time and see what, what might have appeared on my timeline. And I'm it's, like, it's, it's, it's really not like it's not like a junkie. It is it is an addiction. It yeah, is yeah. absolutely an addiction in the same way that you can be addicted to gambling. Uh, you can be d- addicted to anything, and they are. And and you're you're right, man. It's scary, and and, and you're absolutely right. Which is. Uh, because it's so culturally accepted and it's so easy, that's the problem. With a, mm. a kid at four or five years old, you give them, it might not be an iPad, it may be a, the kid's version of an iPad, you know, it's just got a couple of games and TV shows, but a lot of people it will be an iPad with YouTube on it to watch Peppa Pig or whatever. And, yeah. um, and, and, and you just, you know, you got to go get some washing done. You got to go get some laundry done. So what do you do? You give the iPad to the kid. You chuck on Peppa, Pe- Peppa Pig. You chuck on uh, Candy Crush or whatever they want, and they start playing that. So they're indoctrinated into this technology from an extremely young age. And then you're absolutely right. You know, you're the only parent who whose kid ha- doesn't have an iPod by the time they're 10 years old. And then what? You, then you're, you know, the kid isn't gonna, a ten-year-old isn't gonna understand that you're doing this for the greater good, and then you look like the asshole, and you gotta end up conceding to it, and that's the problem that we're all gonna have. Yeah. It's a terrible thought. But I don't didn't mean to bring the tone of the podcast down at all with that. <laughs> <laughs> this is why. Uh, this is why. Uh, funnily enough, we were Kenny talking about this with uh, Bert Soren um, from Soren X in America just uh, last week. That's and awesome. one of the coolest things you can one of the one of the coolest things you can do is uh, and I just did it recently was uh, went and climbed a mountain at night yeah. to watch sunrise and just fucking on my own and uh, Ben Nevis it was actually so I climbed Ben Nevis for sunrise and I had the mountain to myself and you're like, this is fucking awesome like this is just yeah. completely like a like a reset like a, a mental <laughs> reset to go ah oh, sun's coming up this is awesome um, yeah. so. Uh, yeah, the next time you're in Scotland, man, if you want to climb a Monroe at night, I'm your man. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Um, yeah. On that same, just before we go off the topic of this, we were saying uh, a couple of years ago, I'm, I'm 42, so I'm, I've got ages on, on all of us on this podcast, but uh, I got invited to a 21st birthday party of a couple of the, a lassie who's at work with me, and I thought, yeah, I can totally still hang with 21-year-olds, let's do this. <laughs> and uh, I walked in and I, I was out with something else and then went to their party. And I grew up obviously partying and, and drinking in like the late nineties through the early double O's. And uh, I walked in and literally everyone was on the dance floor, all with their phone in their hand, yeah. front facing camera, just looking yeah. at it, giving it the whole tight face, the double fingers. Sad, isn't it? All the guys yeah, tables, texting and messaging, no one making eye contact. They all came back to the tables, all sat on their phone, they're taking pictures, looking at it, deleting it, retaking it. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's a crazy thing. Is is that they spend the whole night taking pictures, not talking to anyone, not actually having a good time. But the next day, they post the picture to Instagram. Best mm. night ever. 
awesome yeah. night. You know, I can't wait to do it again. Even though you had a shit time because you spent the whole time taking pictures of your face, pulling a stupid duck face. It's horrible, Absolutely. man. It's awful. The worst, the worst <laughs> part of it all, though, the worst part of it all was the fact I was the only one on the dance floor doing the dance to Saturday night. <laughs> Everyone else is just watching me like an idiot. Hey, I'm Adam. Instagram live in it. <laughs> one of the, it's funny because one of the one of the coolest things, uh, uh, one of the saddest things and coolest things is watching um, the Lincoln Park. Uh, they, you know, they had an album, One More Light Out, and they were, I think uh, they were doing like uh, crawling or something, whatever it was. And Chester Bennington went right into the crowd, and everybody's standing there with a phone in his face. Yeah. And I've watched this video so many times. So there's, you know, a hundred people right around about him, and they're all with the phone, except from one guy. Yeah. Who's just singing his heart out, and I go, "That guy, yeah. he's fucking doing it. He's doing it right. Yeah, phone's in his pocket, and he's actually in the moment having like he's standing in front of Chester Bennington. Like, what the? F- that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everybody else is just kind of watching it through a screen. You're like, come on, man. Yeah, you know this guy is doing it properly. So. Um. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy world we live in, man. It's a crazy, crazy, crazy yes, world we live in. It it's is. only getting crazier. Um. So yeah, what um, is, uh, uh, you know, is there is there anything immediately coming up that's uh, exciting? Um. Uh, not really, to be honest. You know, who knows? Uh, I'm 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 in England. You guys don't have it quite as bad, but I know you guys are having problems at the moment. You know, it looks like that we're not too far away from going back into a another national lockdown. So it's uh it's a horrible time. You know, I'm I'm optimistic, and I think that by uh, spring next year, hopefully early spring next year, uh, this 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 whole virus thing will be gone, ready for good. Um. I'm optimistic that that will happen. I'm not. I'm not waiting out for a vaccine. I. I hope. I believe that you know. Once we hit this entire year cycle, we're gonna get everything under control, and then life can get back to normal. It's just not cool, you know. For for me, um, you know, I love traveling and I love teaching jujitsu in different gyms. And jujitsu is essentially outlawed. You know, is the realistic, which yeah. sounds cool because you can, you know, it sounds like a, a plot out of some sort of dystopian future. When jujitsu is gone underground, and you know everyone, which is basically I, what people are doing. I have to ask you this now: is this is this the plot to the the new Nicolas Cage uh, no. jujitsu film? Did, is that what did it you is? See, did you see my uh, Did you see my Instagram story today? No, I've not seen that one. Oh, I, I post so. I posted about the Nicolas. That's so funny you bring it up because earlier today <laughs> I posted. Have you seen the trailer for it? Yes. I've not, no. Oh, um, my God. You know what? Do you, do you, are you in your sword. laptop right now? Yes, swords. Uh, no, I'm not. No, no, no. I'm oh, not, you're not? Uh, are you on, I, you're no, on your no. phone? Or? I'm on my phone. I was yeah, going to say, yeah. you should, I say you should watch the trailer right now, but <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to subject anyone listening to watching it. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's about aliens. Uh, it's some aliens, and oh, okay. it looks like a budget version of Predator. It looks awful, but... What are you gonna do? Yeah. So no, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, what I was actually saying was, uh, you know, I, I don't. Unfortunately, I'm unable to go and teach seminars and do what I love doing. So uh, at the moment, it's sort of just cracking on, training, and 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 staying fit, staying strong, staying on the mats. I'm I'm nursing a bit of an injury at the moment, but hopefully, a couple of weeks I'll be back to full training. Um, and that's it. Take it from there. Yeah. But yeah, kind of wait, wait, waiting it out at the moment. Yeah, there's not much, not much anybody else can do. So. Uh, we are uh, just over an hour now, so it's getting it's getting. Uh, normally, normally we'd say it's getting late where you are or where we are, but now it's it's fucking getting late for all of us. And uh, I, uh, I have to swim in the morning, so. Okay, <laughs> we'll start right Just before we before we dive off, we always add this in. Just if people want to find out more and see your cool Instagram posts, yeah. and they can also watch your suplex or stability ball. Where can they find you? And we'll tag this in the video and in the the notes as well, Daniel. Right. My Instagram is at raspberry underscore ape. You can find me there. You can find my YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash raspberry ape, uh, where you can watch a few videos that I put out. But uh, you can watch Stones and Strangles, which is the documentary that I made about going to Scotland and lifting stones and teaching jiu-jitsu. And you can watch my podcast as well, which is the Raspberry Ape podcast, which you can find on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and uh, all of the other good uh, podcast directories or you can go to raspberryape.com and buy a singlet like the one that you uh, were talking about earlier today Ali's getting one Ali's getting, do you have, a, do you have uh, some raspberry t-shirts 
I have a few uh, Raspberry Ape uh, guillotine tour t-shirts. They're now, they're okay. two years old now, which officially makes them vintage. I did them in, they're quite cool actually. I did them in, I did them in the style of like a Iron Maiden t-shirt. So they're pretty okay. cool. Uh, I have some Raspberry Ape rash guards and uh, I'm hopefully releasing a, um, well, I am releasing a uh, grip training instructional video okay. that will be on that site hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Do you, do you still have the um, the lumberjack? Uh, the lumberjack, uh, the the Rosbury Ape uh, collaboration with Scramble lumberjack to wear, uh, uh, buffalo check, uh, red and black buffalo check, uh, lumberjack rash guard with the denim look Valley Tudo shorts. Uh, they have pretty much sold out on um, on uh, Scramble. I think there's a few places that still sell them. I'm considering buying a small batch in to sell through my website, but at the moment yeah. they're very, very exclusive at the moment. It was, a, it was a, a, a super cool, uh, super cool idea. Actually, it was one of those ones I never got one at the time. I, I can't remember why this yeah. you know, life's busy and I didn't get one, but it was one of those things. You go, that's, and it actually gave me a. Uh, so I've made a couple of rash cards for a class, and uh, I'm working on, uh, and I'll make sure you get one I'll, I'll, when we get them made. So I have a Scottish themed one. Uh, awesome. what, I'll, what I'll do is I will send you a picture of it once we get off here and uh, I promise great. you it's fucking awesome yes. and um, it really is a good idea so once I get one of those once I get those made up I'll I'll message you and I'll make sure you get one of awesome. those um, and it was uh, yeah uh, the, the, the your your um, your uh, uh, lumberjack one was kind of a, a little bit of an uh, like I got ideas from that so yeah, um, awesome. it, it was super cool I'll, I'll send you the picture once I'm done here but um, nice uh, yeah, thanks for your time, man. It was a, a really absolute nice pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Episode 45, Daniel Strauss, Raspberry 8, Silly Goose Gang. It's been fun. The Silly Goose Gang Podcast. <laughs>